0: Steam ordered to allow the resale of purchased games, the legal ramifications. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I am your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and we are cooking with gas this week. We've had a lot of news items. This one is a biggie today. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. I've pulled up a Reddit article which says Steam valve is convicted in france for banning the resale of dematerialized games now there's a couple of things going on there but the gist of this news item is that a french court has determined that valve's steam platform the platform that is by far the most dominant force in selling personal computer games is in violation of the european union's intellectual property code by stating in their terms and conditions a very standard term that we have discussed really ad infinitum in virtual legality. And that is a term associated with giving a software license that says it's a license and not a sale. And now the term that we see here in the Reddit topic title is convicted. I think it's really that Valve lost a civil lawsuit uh, and has now been ordered by this French court to essentially stop prohibiting resales of its games within, I believe it's 90 days. We're going to actually look at the translation here in this next tab because it is so interesting. Now, like most translations, it's a little bit hard to follow. So I'm gonna do my best to kind of pull out and explain what's happening here while also kind of trying to explain what the translation says. But thank you to Juan on Reddit for providing this translation to the article. It says, the association, which I'm understood to be a consumer trade association, somebody that's in favor of customer rights, the association has obtained the cancellation of several clauses including the one prohibiting the possibility of reselling dematerialized games i really love the term dematerialized game i hope it catches on it's a translation note so i believe it means digital games it obviously does but i really like dematerialized games parsing that sentence out it says valve has these contract terms in its terms and conditions we've gone over a number of companies different terms and conditions in virtual legality but it has these contract terms it says things like this is for license this is not a sale all of our software is licensed that's basically everything that you have ever bought if you've bought a video game is not buying any kind of right to the copyright of that game and if you're buying digitally it's not really buying a title at all it's buying access through a license and what this is about is it says those contract terms that say it's a license and not a sale we are voiding them and i don't know that we've talked about it on this show But basically, the courts in the United States, in the European Union and elsewhere, can look at a contract and determine, basically, that it is uh, so problematic to how they have interpreted the public policy of their jurisdiction, of what the legislature has put forth, that the court can actually go in and say, nope, that contract term is illegal. The most prominent of these in the United States is that non-competition provisions, provisions that prohibit an employee from going to another competitor and working for them for a tail period after they've left employment with the original uh, company, are void as void for public policy in the state of California. And I think in some other places as well in the United States, although California is the most prominent. Non-competition provisions of that stripe, Are mostly legal in other jurisdictions in the united states i will tell you as a michigan barred lawyer in michigan you can have a non-competition provision in your employment document that's gonna go generally speaking for about two years if you make it five years the court's probably gonna strike it down uh, and or reduce it to a length that it feels is reasonable but if you have about two years you're gonna you're gonna be upheld as legal in the state of michigan you can't do that at all In California and that's to some parties benefits and it also harms other parties but it's an interesting question when you talk about jurisdictions and what they believe to be so above the pale that it's going to be void just on its basic premises continuing with this translation in the subscription agreement that valve drafted for its video game distribution platform provisions prevent this possibility the possibility of reselling the game that you have purchased from valve in principle These contents, the contents that are described in this article, and services include video games, purchased virtual objects, game content, software, and updates. Now, I want you to put a pin in that because we're talking about this article, and we're talking about what the French court has done. And they have said, Valve, when you sell a game, and we're going to see the exact contours around what it means by when you sell a game. When you sell a game, when you sell something like that, you can't prohibit its resale. And if you don't stop doing that, there's going to be major problems that you have with the French court and the European Union in general. If it includes virtual objects, if it includes game content, that's going to have even more significant ramifications on the industry because how the industry is monetized right now. And we're going to get to that further on in this video. It says, The disputed clause in the valve contract has been rejected by the French courts on the basis of European law via European directives and on the case law of the European Court of Justice. These two directives, the court wrote, prohibit the possible obstacle that copyright protection could constitute by recognizing the principle of exhaustion of the distribution right, which prohibits, if only by the interplay of contractual provisions, the free movement of goods within the union exhaustion of the right is a principle according to which once a work has been sold with the author's authorization, the author no longer has control over subsequent resales. Now that's a bit simplified and it is of course through a kind of translation in the first instance, but basically this is a mirror image to the concept that we recognize in the United States as the first sale doctrine. Now, I don't usually do this in virtual legality, but I found this article to be at least a useful summary of what I mean when I say first sale doctrine. So I have pulled up Wikipedia and its description is that first sale doctrine is a legal concept playing an important role in U.S. copyright and trademark law by limiting certain rights of a copyright or trademark owner. The doctrine enables the distribution chain of copyrighted products, library lending, giving, video rentals and secondary markets for copyrighted works. In trademark law, this same doctrine enables reselling of trademark products after the trademark holder has put the products into the market. Basically, summarized, what this does is it takes the copyright bundle of rights that a copyright holder has. In this case, the right to control distribution of their products. Distribution of their copyrighted products. And it says, once you put a product out into the marketplace, You can't then say that it is a copyright violation for that person to redistribute it to someone else. And I want you to pay attention to that because we're really talking about imposing copyrights on the secondary transaction. And that has been and currently is in the United States distinct from contractual obligations, contractual rights, the things that you enter into when you sign up to an end-user license agreement, a EULA, terms and conditions when you're working with a publisher or a platform like Steam or like Epic Game Store or Nintendo or Sony or Microsoft. And what this says is this says even though the copyright holder has those rights, he can't stop that secondary transaction solely as a violation of those copyrights. It said more succinctly, this sentence in the middle of the overview in the Wikipedia article, once the work is lawfully sold or even transferred gratuitously for free, the copyright owner's interest in the material object in which the copyrighted work is embodied is exhausted. The owner of the material object can then dispose of it as he sees fit. And we see that material object concept present in the the Copyright Act itself, which has kind of embodied this particular notion, the first sale doctrine in general. It says, notwithstanding the provisions of Section 106.3, the copyrights, the owner of a particular copy is entitled without the authority of the copyright owner to sell or otherwise dispose of the possession of that copy. Now, there are Even exceptions to that exception, as you see here, it says, notwithstanding that exception, unless authorized by the owner of the copyright in a computer program, neither the owner of a particular phone or record nor any person in possession of a particular copy of the computer program may, for the purposes of commercial advantage, dispose of or authorize the disposal of the possession of that computer program by rental, lease, or lending. So yes you're allowed to sell it you're allowed to trade it you're not allowed to open up a rental office and that's an interesting distinction that's clearly a sensitivity that's part of the sausage being made in washington about where these exceptions come from and whatnot because there maybe isn't the best logic for limiting it in that fashion but right now the state of play in the united states is we have a first sale doctrine for particular copies Generally speaking, physical copies, because there is no notion in the digital landscape of having a particular copy of a piece of software code. They are copied perfectly, whether you download it from the internet or whether you burn it from a CD or wherever. Those ones and zeros are always the same, and it's not thought to be a particular copy of the product. That doesn't extend to a CD. For instance, when you go and you buy a game from the GameStop, the reason you can go and you can sell that game back to the GameStop and not have to ask Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo permission to do it is because of this doctrine. They have sold a copy into the marketplace. That copy is yours and you can sell it back to GameStop or whoever else at your discretion. You can't open up a kind of lending facility due to the exception to the exception as we see in the Copyright Act, but you can sell it back to GameStop. But it's important to kind of talk about why that exists the notion was that they had exhausted all of their intellectual property rights the copyright owner had and so the law doesn't really care to help that copyright owner restrict those rights as they said in the translation to the article we just read for the french decision they didn't want to restrict the movement of goods across the european union but that's not really a functional logical answer to digital copies, right? They've got a section here in the Wikipedia article that says, the U.S. Copyright Office has stated that the tangible nature of a copy is a defining element of the first sale doctrine and critical to its rationale. The notion that you've put this complete product out into the marketplace and you don't have to have anything to do with it any longer, and that it will ultimately, due to reality, degrade over time, and that doesn't happen with digital goods. Also, I thought it funny that while reading this wiki, Wikipedia is fast. There's a sentence here on this very topic that really went live three hours ago. It says, in a notable case, the High Court of Paris has found against Valve Corporation for not allowing the resale of games from the Steam digital storefront, requiring Valve to comply with the European Union directives of first sale doctrine within three months pending appeals. And that's exactly what we're going to see now as we go back to this translation. It says, it is indeed a purchase... However, the court observes that the license of a game is indeed purchased and not obtained within the framework of a subscription to the subscription of said game. Indeed, this subscription mentioned by Valve, the fact that its terms and conditions say you are subscribing, you are licensing and not purchasing it, actually consists of a purchase, the game being made available to said user for an unlimited period of time. It cannot therefore be deemed a subscription in the usual sense of the term, but the sale of a copy of a video game made for a price determined in advance and paid in a single installment by the user. Now a lawyer looks at this and says, okay France, okay European Union, if you're gonna start enforcing this on developers, on publishers, on platforms, what is the natural response? I don't think you need to be a lawyer to see this. If your qualities are required to be perpetual license, single payment, what is the very first thing that a developer or publisher is going to do to respond to this, to make sure that they can control their secondary markets and goods? They're going to eliminate single payments, and they're not going to have perpetual licenses. If you thought games as a service was prevalent before now, and it certainly has been because of that recurring revenue that publishers and developers desire so much, if you don't have a games as a service, and that's going to require you to essentially perpetuate and allow a secondary market in digital goods, then you are going to see a lot more companies have subscription features, require their games to be purchased as subscriptions. And all of the discussions we've had on this channel with places like Accursed Farms and others that have been concerned about games as a service is a fraud because you don't have this ownership interest. While this might look like a win that the European Union, the French court is saying you do have an ownership interest when it's sold in this particular way. The end result is they won't sell it to you in that way any longer. Now, we have a long way to go to see even if this holds up, to see if this spreads throughout the European Union, if this spreads globally. But I will tell you right now that the lawyers at these various companies are looking at this, reading these articles, and having this same kind of conversation with their bosses and their bosses' bosses, and saying, okay, we don't want a resale market. That's going to depress the value of our goods very, very much, especially in a digital environment where you don't have degradation and you can just pass it along through the internet as much as you want then we are going to have to move to a subscription model. For those of you who remember this, it wasn't so many years ago that Sony and Microsoft were trying to figure out how to derail the physical used game model. And the way they were doing that was that they were having essentially a pass, a code that went in the box that could be used only once that opened up the game, opened up what was on the disc that was being sold for better use, or in some respects, almost entire use, for the player that had purchased that game. That went away primarily because they can control their markets. But if they can't control their markets, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see games that are essentially shells that require you to subscribe to some other service to even access or at bare minimum to get passwords or other two-factor authentication or something along those lines to use so that actually selling the digital product, the software, the application in and of itself is essentially broken. There are any number of ways that software companies can get around a decision like this. So I think those that are celebrating this as a big win really have to stop and think about what's going to happen to the marketplace because it is going to be a significant issue. And these aren't massive costs for the software developers and the publishers to undertake. They are, in fact, pretty simple costs and probably kind of decision points that they've already been percolating uh, and already been thinking about in the interior halls of the big publishers of the world. So this is just kind of an inflection point and something to be considered going forward. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to see software developers and publishers react in that fashion. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, depending on how far this gets, to have Steam and Valve say, "Okay, well, if that's going to be the way it is, then we're going to cut off France or we're going to cut off wherever this might apply to because we don't want to sell things that we can't control the resale of. And as I said when we talked about the first sale doctrine in the Wikipedia article, as I said when we talked about this translation earlier in this video, the reason the first sale doctrine has not really prohibited up until now what Steam is doing, what Epic is doing, PlayStation, Sony, and Nintendo, is because a contractual obligation sits on top of your copyrights. Said another way, your copyright says you get to prohibit someone else from distributing your book. You get to distribute your book. The first sale doctrine comes in and says, hey, when you sell that book, that copy of that book, that's that person's and they can do what they want with it. We're still okay from there. That being said, if the person that bought the book also entered into a contract with you directly or entered into a contract with a, a bookstore of some kind, wherever they have purchased this book, and that contract said, hey... I, uh, in consideration of a discount on the sale of this book, some kind of consideration, I agree that I won't resell this book or otherwise publicly display it. I agree contractually that I won't do X, Y, and Z with this book. Then the law generally looks at that and says, okay, that's an additional contractual obligation. We don't even care about copyright and first sale doctrine because those are essentially default rules. Yeah, you don't have to go after this person if they wind up selling the book for a copyright violation. Maybe they didn't violate the copyright because of the first sale doctrine. You can go after them for a contractual breach because that's different. That's a personal thing that has been signed up, a personal right, a personal obligation that 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 individual has agreed to versus copyright, which as kind of the laws of society sits on top of everything and everybody has understood to agree to kind of in general. So what Steam is doing with their end-user license agreements, with their license agreements in general for the purchase of games, is saying, we don't care that much about copyright. This is a contractual statement. This is not a sale. This is a license. You can't do X, Y, or Z with this. And those include a lot more than just reselling the product. Those include things like... You won't use this product to conduct server attacks on us or on the developer. You won't use this product to inject malicious code. You won't use this product to do other bad things that we don't want you to do. This is why there's a license in the first place. You can't reverse engineer it. You can't do all this other stuff that you agree to when you purchase a consumer copy of a product from Steam. But that is the universe in which we lived yesterday. If this kind of decision making applies, it basically says we don't care what the contract says. These individuals can't enter into a contract like that because it's void for public policy. I will tell you right now, I don't say political statements very often on this channel. I don't say them very often in this show. This to me is a ludicrous piece of argumentation individuals and the companies that are providing these services should have the right to enter into the contracts that they want to enter into. Sometimes that's going to mean that the contracts that they offer to you are not contracts that you want to enter into, that you don't like the terms. I understand that. I have not done certain things, either with Kickstarter or with certain games and game companies, because I didn't like the terms and conditions, I didn't like the cut of their jib, and I didn't trust them to do what was right with my data or anything else. Those are the decisions that we make every day. But right now, what this is saying is that you can't make that decision. A developer or a publisher that wants to sell their products through Valve Steam, according to this decision, cannot make the decision that they don't want to allow resale. So maybe they have to raise their prices. Maybe they have to make their game of games as a service. Maybe they have to have passes or passwords or other subscription avenues to control that access. And I don't think that's going to be a more efficient marketplace. It's not going to be the marketplace that everybody wants to see when they're celebrating something like this. Lastly, I just wanted to highlight here that there is a translation that says, of course, The court did ignore the fact in the intellectual property code that there is reference to a material copy in the case of exhaustion of the rights, did not ignore it. But for the sake of justice, this wording must not be assimilated to the sole physical medium of the software, but must be understood as the downloading of the software from the website and its installation on the user's computer, that that's what constitutes a material copy in this reading of their jurisprudence. And I think, frankly... That's a bit of hogwash. They want to arrive at this conclusion. Courts do this all the time. This isn't unique to the French court or France or the European Union. There's plenty of United States judgments that do this as well. They want to come to the conclusion that they want to allow this. They want to allow this marketplace. They see steam as a bad actor. And so they twist the words and they make it work for them. And that's the state of play right this second. But what's even more significant than just allowing a resale market for games is the fact that there will be a resale or secondary market for virtual objects, game content, software, or updates. Now, if you followed Virtual Legality, if you have followed this channel in the past, you might know where I'm going with this. But this is one of the hot button topics in the video game industry today. I've pulled up an article summarizing where we're at as about a month ago in respect of the UK Gambling Commission because they have done the most work kind of discussing these issues. And what I'm talking about here is loot boxes. This is the blog post from a major international law firm, Herbert Smith and Freehills. And they summarize what's happening in the UK and what the UK Gambling Commission has said about why they're not going to regulate loot boxes as follows. The UKGC has told MPs that such activities are unlikely to fall within the current meaning of gambling. Such activities being loot boxes, surprise mechanics, if you work at Electronic Arts, etc. Under the act, provided there is no official way to monetize the content, provided there is no official way to monetize the content. However, the interpretation of whether something is money's worth And if you don't follow this argument completely, please go back. I've done a number of episodes in virtual legality on this. But basically the rule in the United Kingdom and in most United States jurisdictions is that it's gambling if you put money in and can get money back out. And the reason loot boxes aren't gambling for right now is that when you put money in, it's always zero that comes out because you can't resell it. So because those digital goods don't have any value, they can't be gambling. And that's held so far in respect of United States law. It says, whether something is money's worth will always depend on the exact circumstances. In the case of EA's FIFA player packs, for example, the UKGC observed that its conclusion that player packs are not gambling was informed by factors such as EA's efforts to prevent secondary markets and proactively stop players from exchanging the packs for cash, ukgc chief executive neil MacArthur explained that the ukgc is more concerned with the risks posed by these third-party secondary markets where gamers can buy sell or bet with in-game content known as skin betting primarily with i believe uh not call of duty but uh, the other shooting game that is escaping me right now in the valve ecosystem counter-strike And the skin betting that was happening in terms of betting your skins to try to get other skins uh, as secondary market transactions in the United Kingdom and elsewhere. But if you read that whole paragraph and then you tie it to the fact that the French court has just said that virtual goods have to be subject to this first sale doctrine as well, that means that what you get out of a loot box as a virtual good has to be saleable by you. And to the extent that it is saleable by you, that secondary markets exist not in the shadows of the gray or even black markets, but out in the open, that is going to make it vastly more difficult for anybody to argue that there isn't money's worth associated with these loot boxes. Now, you can think that's a great thing. I don't mind if you think it's a great thing, but it is going to fundamentally change both the arguments and the regulatory authority of these various jurisdictions and in general, the financing of the industry on the whole. So this decision, if it is to hold, and I have no reason to believe that it will necessarily hold here or that it will expand to the entire European Union or elsewhere or certainly to the United States. But if it were to be imposed globally, you would have massive, massive ramifications, not only on the sale of games, but on the development and publishing of games, how they are monetized, what it means to be a single player game, what it means to be a games as a service game you do not make these decisions you do not put your thumb on the scales of an an economy a market like the video game industry without having each individual actor react to what you are telling it so what will happen is that you will have limits into jurisdictions that mandate this resale possibility you will have changes in the development of the video games themselves you will have changes in the financing of those video games if the existence of that secondary market serves as essentially the foothold For regulators to come in and say anything you do on a chance basis is now gambling. And how that affects other aspects of video games. Not just loot boxes, but really anything that has a random number generation element. If you have the ability to sell your game, can you sell your save state? Can you sell what you have earned from your character? And if that game has a random number generator element attached to gathering loot, regardless of whether it came out of a loot box, and you can then sell your game, your account to someone else, is that not gambling in and of itself, gambling with time rather than with money, but certainly gambling nonetheless. And if that initial purchase price was essentially designed to get a higher purchase price in a secondary market, isn't that a form of gambling in and of itself? So this opens up the entire Pandora's box to really discussions of what the industry might look like going forward, what the industry's financing might look like, and what game developers and publishers would do in response to something like this. So, Hang on to your hats, buckle your seatbelts. This is the first virtual legality episode on this topic. But if this continues down this road, if first sale doctrine is mandated for digital games and digital goods, then we've got a very, very bumpy road ahead heading into the next generation of video game consoles and the future of the video game industry. So hang tight and we'll definitely see you in the next virtual legality.